Would you please uh, join me for a prayer before we begin? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, in May of 2006, I finally admitted to myself and to Sherry and to some trusted friends that I had lost it. It didn't happen overnight, and it wasn't about some secret sin in my life. I just realized I had lost it. Now, I'd been pushing hard ever since we came, moved to Arizona in the summer of 2000. And for six years, we really pushed hard to grow the church. We built the building in 2002. Uh, the church grew rapidly, more so than we ever imagined or thought, and trying to build infrastructure around that and to do the work of ministry. And um, I was exhausted. I was depleted. I was on empty. My times alone with God were perfunctory and stale. I was more concerned with what people thought of me than about lost souls. I was impatient. For the most part, I was dispassionate. I was easily discouraged, and I just wasn't having fun in ministry anymore. I even asked the question, should I do something else? Should I dust off my engineering degree? I had lost it. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Have you ever felt that you have lost your passion, your direction, your joy, that you've lost it? Now these past weeks we've been looking at what an it person or an it church looks like and what are the characteristics of an it person or an it church. And we've looked at seven traits. Uh, we've looked at a, a passion for his presence. That's when you say to yourself, I have to be in the presence of Jesus. I cannot live outside of him. And then we looked at in sincere integrity. What you believe and what you experience on the inside is how you live on the outside. There's a, a congruity. There's an integral relationship between your heart, your hands, and your mouth. And then we looked at down-to-earth humility. That amazing passage in Micah 6.8, walk humbly with your God. And then we looked at a spirit-filled faith. Not a dead faith, a faith that has no works, but a living faith that the fruit of the Spirit is born out of you when you have that relationship with Jesus, that, that vine and branch relationship where you're receiving his life into your life. Living faith. And then we looked about taking risks. And we talked about the importance of, I will do anything, anything, to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. And that brought us to our last it message last week. A deep desire to reach the lost. Galatians 4.19, For I am ever in labor till Christ be formed in you. Now, all of these it characteristics I've experienced in my life um, at different times and in different ways, at different intensities, but at this point in my life, in the summer of 2006, I, I felt like my tank was at least half empty. I, I felt like there was really nothing more. There wasn't a lot of, of life there. So, so here's what I discovered. 
uh, I discovered that I had lost my first love. Now, as you know, there's a wonderful passage in the book of Revelation where uh, John is seeing this vision and this angel speaks to him and he talks about seven churches and the first church he talks about was Ephesus. And this is what he said to the church at Ephesus. He said, you have forsaken or lost your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Revelation 2, 4 and 5. You have forsaken, you have lost your first love. And remember what those things were like that you did when you first came to Jesus. Maybe you remember what it was like for you when you first gave your heart to Jesus. That, that joy, that passion, that zeal, that desire to reach someone else for Jesus, that enthusiasm, all of those things that were part of you. You had it back in the day when you first came to Jesus. But somehow over time and over space, we lose it. We've forsaken, we've forgotten our first love. For me, that first love had to do with a real joy in my soul. It had to do with a passion to be with Jesus. And it had to do with a desire to reach people for Jesus. And for some reason, I had lost it. So that uh, summer, we went on our first sabbatical, the summer of 2006. And uh, we went up to the Pacific Northwest. We saw our daughter, stayed with her for a while in Portland. And then we went on up to uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. I went to Regent Seminary where J.I. Packer was teaching 2 Corinthians. And I did a sermon series on that just uh, about several months ago. But this was my opportunity to find it, to regain it. And the thing that I recognized as I was going those first few weeks when I was just spending a lot of time in prayer is that my heart needed once again to be broken. I need to recognize how deeply I needed Jesus, how much I needed to rely on him, how much his life, uh, the life of the vine, needed to be in me, this lowly branch. I discovered that I needed him. And so through this period, this time of, of brokenness, I really started to discover it again. And so here, here's some take-homes that I would share with you this morning, is that if you have lost it, you can find it. And if you have found it, you can keep it. And that's what happens when you experience a heart of brokenness, a heart of dependence upon Jesus. When you, you realize that you, what you have come to believe will satisfy you, will really not satisfy you. Kingdom of man stuff. But it's kingdom of God stuff that needs to fill you. And you can return to your first love. That deep sorrow for sin, I was missing that. The passion for Jesus. And the love for every human being on the planet that doesn't know Jesus. Now, my path back from losing it was to return to my first love. I have done over my ministry a lot of marriage counseling. And now when I come to a couple that just feels stale and they're kind of stalled in their marriage, now I'm not talking about critical things like the big three, you know, adultery, abandonment, and abuse. I'm not talking about those things. But when a marriage is stalled and you're losing that passion, that interest, here's what I, one of the exercises I do with those married couples. First of all, I ask them, Tell me 
what it was about this man that you fell in love with. What are the qualities that you saw in him? What are the qualities you saw in her that you fell in love with? And when you recognize that you love this woman, what did you do to show it? What did you do to prove it? What did you do to affirm it in her, in him? In other words, basically what I was doing with them is the Revelation 2 idea of returning to their first love. And then I would give them assignments. Okay, this week, I want you to, I'd tell the husband, I want you to set up a date and figure out where you're going to go, arrange for babysitting if you need to do that, and you're in charge of the date. Do that just like you used to do when you were first going together, when you were courting. Or I'd tell the, the wife, uh, what was it that your husband really loved you to do when you were first in love? Well, he just loved me to rub his back or he would love me to uh, take him to a movie. Do that. That's your assignment for this week. We need to learn what it means to return to our first love. We need what, to remember what it means to return to that real passion for Jesus. To understand how that we really love people who are far from God. So as I wrap up this series this morning, I would like to share with you what I believe is the key to having it and to keeping it. And this is going to sound odd and it's going to sound counterintuitive, but here it is. A broken spirit. A broken spirit. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, what Jesus is saying is if you want it, if you want to get it back, you need to be poor in spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but I've spent my whole life trying not to be broken. I've wanted to be adequate, competent, strong, whether as a student, a football player, an engineer, a husband, a father, a pastor, I've always believed that happy are the strong, happy are the successful, happy are the rich, the self-confident, and the popular. But Jesus said a person or a church with it is just the opposite. Now the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, of which this is a part, the Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, what Jesus said is that is that the kingdom that you're looking at, the kingdom of man, is upside down. The kingdom of God is kind of just the opposite of what you see in the kingdom of man. The first shall be last. When's the last time someone preached on that and you say, yeah, go get them. Or how about the rich will be poor? Or how about the weak will be strong? This is an upside down gospel that Jesus is bringing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So let's, let's dive into what that means. What does that phrase poor in spirit means? Well, first of all, it does not mean physical poverty. Some of you are saying, oh good, because I thought I was going to have to become a monk, right? No, it doesn't mean physical prop, uh, poverty. But poverty of the inner spirit. The word tokos, it's, that's where the word poor is. The word tokos means a begging dependence. In other words, happy are those who recognize their deep need for God and exhibit it through a begging dependence. So about a, a year ago, uh, I received a phone call from a, a dear friend. Uh, he'd been struggling with alcoholism uh, most of his life. He's in his 40s now. And uh, 
Uh, when he called me, I recognized that there was something critically wrong. Uh, he was crying. I'd never seen him cry before. And, and he said uh, to me, he said, Pastor, he said, uh, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do. What to do. I don't know where to turn. I've got to somehow find a way out of this alcoholism. And so uh, we cried together. Um, I prayed for him. I got him in touch with a, a man, a wonderful man of God by the name of Mark, who is a sponsor, would, was his sponsor and helped him through AA. And, and um, there was this begging dependence, this tokos. It says, I, I can't live without Jesus. I, I can't live on my own strength anymore. The power that I believe that I've had, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And that man, recently we had a one-year celebration of his sobriety. He is a brand new person. He is a completely changed man by the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God. And it all started with tokas, a begging dependence. Now, one of the great stories in the Bible is found in Luke chapter 18. And it's a story of a Pharisee and a tax collector and the contrast between these two, how that one had complete self-dependence and the other had completely a begging dependence. So I'd like you to listen to this parable that Jesus told found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. This is the word of God for the people of God at Grace Community Church. Then Jesus told this story to some who had a great confidence in their own righteousness. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that? And most of you are saying, uh, yeah, that's me sometimes, right? Then Jesus told this story to someone who, someone, uh, some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else in this temple, right? For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I am certainly not like that guy in the back of the church, that tax collector. I'm certainly not like him. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Wow, what a prayer, right? What a prayer. And then verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, Jesus said, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. What a contrast. Two men, both of them fairly wealthy, a Pharisee and a tax collector. One man approaches God as if he is doing God a favor by being in his presence. And the other man, the Bible says, could not even look up from the ground. He couldn't even look up to heaven. So he said, Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner. You see the contrast there? So often you and I are self-reliant. We're self-confident. We're self-assured. And that's a place where we do not need God. 
this tax collector desperately needed God. He was a person who realized, just like I did, that there is strength and hope and breath when we depend upon God. A begging dependence. Now, there is a fabulous story in Genesis chapter 32. I won't go into take the time to read it, but many of you know the story. So, Jacob, okay, Jacob, who later his name became Israel, Jacob was woke up, he was all by himself, and he began to wrestle with a man. Now that man, we know, was, remember we said a few weeks ago with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a Christophanes, where they met the pre-incarnate existence of Jesus. Well, this time, uh, Jacob meets a Theophanes. This is a pre-incarnate existence of God. Now we know God's been around, but he didn't come into the flesh until Jesus. So here is God wrestling with Jacob. And when dawn came, uh, God broke his hip so that he would never be able to walk again. I guess they didn't have hip replacement in those days. And, And he was constantly reminded that he was dependent upon God. Constantly reminded he was dependent upon God, right? And do you know what Jacob said? When he got up off the ground... With a broken hip, this is what he said. I see the face of God. When you have a begging dependence, when I discovered a begging dependence when I was on sabbatical in 2006, you see the face of God. You're not afraid to look at God anymore. When I was sinning, when I was gambling, I was afraid to look at God. I was afraid to pray. I didn't want to see his face. But when you have a begging dependence upon God, you get up off of your feet. He lifts you up and he puts his hands on your face and he says, look into my face and you will see a face of love, a face of grace, a face of hope. Or how about Paul? Paul said, I have this terrible thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Some people suggested it was some kind of physical ailment, probably was. But time and time again, he asked God three times, Lord, take this, great, this, 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 this thorn away from me so I can serve you better. Take this thorn away, take this thorn away. And Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes we need a thorn in our flesh. Sometimes we need a broken hip to remind us of our utter dependence upon our heavenly father that's what it means to be broken in spirit paul said when i'm weak when i'm broken then i am strong and then is when i see the face of god now dependence upon god is not wimpiness it's not being mealy-mouthed or timidity or fear it is recognizing and acknowledging that without god i am hopelessly lost lord jesus you are my only hope. That's the point that I came to in the summer of 2006. Let me illustrate this this way. Poor in spirit. Now some people, they read that in the Beatitudes and say, oh, I don't want anything part of that. I don't want to be this uh, milk toast, mealy mouth kind of person, this person that's merciful and all of that. No, I, I don't want to be poor in spirit. But let me explain to you from the original language about this word. Now, the common word for poor is Peronikos. Okay, that's the common word for poor. Peronikos. That's not the word used here, but that's the common word for poor that's used many times in Scripture. Okay? And that means uh, it's poor, which means that you are poor, but you find a way to survive. You're poor, but you work things out. You muddle through. Uh, we've all been there, right? Uh, you're poor, 
but you still can, you're able to go to the garbage can and rubbish through the garbage can and find some food and find something to eat. You're poor. It's not glorious, but it's livable. That's the common word for poor. In Matthew 5.3, the word for poor is tokos. And tokos means that you don't even have the ability to dig through the garbage can. You don't even have the ability to find a scrap of food anywhere. You are completely below any opportunity of being self-reliant or self-confident. You have nothing. Do not have the ability or the strength to rummage through a garbage can. For two and a half years, I was paranikos when I was gambling. I was able to muddle through. I was able to fake it. I was able to do things to make people think that I was okay. On the inside, I knew I was broken and I was hopeless, but I was able to muddle through. I was paranikos. But there came a time when I was at Marble Retreat and confessed to Sherry and to my counselor that I was tokas. I didn't even have the ability to rummage through a garbage can to find something to eat. My only hope is in you, Lord Jesus. No longer had that ability to fake it, but only to say, Lord Jesus, my only hope is you. Jim Cimbala was right when he wrote, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. To be poor in spirit is to experience a begging dependence, a complete surrender. If you're desirous of having it, of being a person or part of a church that has it, your heart needs to be broken over your own sin and your self-righteousness. The secrets of your heart need to be revealed and you need to come to that point where you say, my only hope is in you, Lord Jesus. Well, after my sabbatical, I began to rediscover brokenness and it. What I discovered was that um, I needed to return to my first love. I needed to be completely dependent upon God. And I needed to embrace the passage in Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I discovered that I had it again. And I never want to lose it. The passion, the fire, the purity, the hunger for God, I never want to lose it again. Like Jacob, who became Israel, I want that inability of my own to be self-reliant and self-confident to be my broken hip and to recognize that it's only when I am dependent upon God that I see the face of God. Now, out of my experience on sabbatical, I came up to adding to my prayer life three very specific prayers that I want to share with you. And maybe this is something that will encourage you in you rediscovering that begging dependence upon God. So here's three prayers that I've made a part of my daily prayer life to help me find it again and to help me keep it. The first one is stretch me. Lord, make me uncomfortable. Don't pray this if you don't believe it. 
when I'm complacent or lazy, when I'm distracted or discouraged me, or discouraged, Lord, kick me out of my comfort zone. Stretch me. Uh, recently, I've received some uh, personal criticism, and I can tell you it really stung my heart. It really felt badly to me. In the last couple of days, I've really been going over this and praying about this, and I discovered a couple of things about this. The first is that I still have an enormous capacity to be filled with pride. To tell somebody else that, no, no, you're wrong. You know, the way I do it is right. And I have this enormous capacity to be prideful. And then once again, I discovered that amazing passage from, you know, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. To walk humbly with my God. And I ask the Lord really to just humble my heart to soften my heart, to receive any feedback I need to be better and to receive God's grace. That's what I mean by when I pray the prayer, Lord, stretch me. The second, I pr- the second prayer I pray is, Lord, disturb me. Turn me upside down. Shake me. Don't let me become complacent. In other words, ruin me, wreck me, disturb me. Bill Hybels calls this disturbance a a holy discontent. I've had this holy discontent now for several months about the systemic racism we see in our country. And I'm asking, Lord, disturb me. Help me to know what to do, what I can do, one white privileged male can do to help this world become a place without racism. And I also, Lord, ask him this holy discontent when I see any person that is far from Jesus. Lord, disturb me. Help me to realize that that person is lost without Christ. Is there anything I can do? Is there any way I can be in relationship with him or her to help them see about the loving, gracious Father in heaven that we have and the sacrifice that Jesus made for their life? Lord, disturb me. And then the last prayer I pray is simply this. Heal me. Heal me from my reliance on myself. Heal me from depending on my own understanding. Heal me from my need to be liked. Heal me from my need to be loved and admired. Heal me from my addictions. Heal me from my enormous capacity to sin. Lord, heal me. And always it comes back to this two-word phrase, a begging dependence upon God. Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night. And when he got up off of the ground, the Bible says that he looked into the face of God. My prayer for each and every one of you is that you will come to that place of a begging dependence. And when you do, you will look into the face of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would move in our lives at this very moment. Lord, I pray that those of us who are self-reliant and self-confident would recognize that an it person, an it church, begins and sometimes ends with a begging dependence upon God. Lord, help us to come to that place where we say, my only hope is Jesus. My desire is to be in his presence. My desire is to reach one more for Jesus. My desire is to be not complacent, but to be alive in the spirit in everything I do and everything I say.
Lord, help me to have a begging dependence. And Lord, when we experience that reality, just like Jacob, we stand up and we look into the face of God. And for that, Father, I am truly grateful. And I pray this blessing on our people today. In Jesus' name, amen.